Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> Hello there. I'm glad to see you've returned to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we've got a curious item. If you'll take a look over here in the corner, and it's quite large, we've, we've set it up back here. It is a machine, but... Here is the thing, no one is quite sure here in the shop, and we've had several experts come in here to take a look at it. Uh, no one is quite sure what it does, but you can guarantee yourself that everyone here is quite sure that they don't want it turned on. If you'll notice various runes and markings around the edge of this almost portal-looking device, we are all quite certain that were this machine to be turned on and put into use, no good could come of it. And therein lies what's at the heart of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new film, The Breach. So I was trying to find things to talk about for the podcast this coming week, and I, I had a couple ideas. I was looking for something maybe uh, in case I needed, you know, something to talk about for next week's show. And I was going through various video on demand movies that are out on Amazon Prime. And, and some of them looked pretty good. Some of them didn't look great as far as, you know, quality and budget. But, you know, there were some interesting things there, but one of them stood out among all the others. And I'm like, I've got to watch this. So I watched it over the weekend and I enjoyed it so much. Maybe not initially. And we'll get into the, the nuts and bolts of that. But I enjoyed it so much. I thought, okay, you know, I've got on Monday's show, I'm going to be doing The Witcher. On Thursday's show, we're going to be talking about Secret Invasion. I've got to do a bonus episode. I've got to do an extra episode so I can talk about this. And, and hopefully anyone that's watched this will enjoy my thoughts on it. And anybody who's not aware of it, maybe they'll be like, oh, maybe I should go catch that. It's on Amazon Prime for like five bucks. I, I think that's definitely worth its weight. Uh, so I thought I'm going to watch this movie and we're going to talk about it. And I have to say, The Breach was one of those movies that at first I was like, what the hell did I just watch? But then the more I think about it and the more I put the pieces together in my head, the more I appreciate what I saw. And the more I like what I saw and the more I got excited about talking about what I saw. And so we're going to do that. We're going to talk about this. This movie is uh, essentially, you've got a small town sheriff. He's on the last days of his job on the force in this, this small Canadian town of Lone Crow. He's moving off to the big city. He's moving off to Ottawa to be a police officer there and this last days of his time on the job in Lone Crow and all of a sudden a mangled body washes up on the shores of a local river and he is going to investigate and what he finds out 
are are mind-blowing things that uh, and, and a mystery this movie i initially compared it to a lovecraftian tale but there's so much more and i, I don't even want to say what i think it is you know in terms of this type of movie or that type of movie because it, it may give some things away but i do want to uh do want to say that you know if you like Lovecraft style stories, uh, you're gonna dig this. And if you love a story that maybe doesn't win you over with the style of scares, it wins you over in creepiness and atmosphere and an overall dread that really comes to fruition in that last scene. So from here on out, there are gonna be spoilers. So if you haven't watched. Uh, the Breach. Go check it out. I watched it on Amazon Prime. It's on video on demand. Uh, like I said, Prime, five bucks, and it was well worth the five dollars. Uh, the cast is good. The directing is good. It's from a a well-known author, a story from a, from a well-known author who actually was a part of the script writing process. Uh, Nick Cutter got Ian Weir was the other writer. He's done several TV series, written for TV series. You've got a director in Rodrigo Godinho from uh, Room Org, the magazine. He's uh, directing this, and uh, he's done some stuff before. So, you know, it's just uh, a lot of entities together that made this movie a lot better than I my initial reaction to it. And we're going to get into that, but we are going to get into some spoiler territory. So if you haven't watched The Breach, go check it out, come back, and then hear my thoughts on it and see how they compared to how you felt about this. But from here on out, uh, we're going to be talking about The Breach and we are going to be talking spoilers. So The Breach is a Canadian film. Like I said, uh, it's directed by Rodrigo Godinho. He's one of the founders of Rue Morgue magazine. He's also you know, dabbled in directing. He's directed uh, several things uh, from from features to shorts over the past several years. And of course, being one of the founders of Rue Morgue, uh, a lot of them delve into horror. And, and that's one of the things I like about this movie, that it is a horror movie, but it also delves into so much more than just horror. I mean, there's a mystery to it. There are some sci-fi aspects to it. And I think that's one of the... I, I like movies that don't just stick to one genre. They're kind of genre bending. They Clone Tyrone was kind of that way as well. There's multiple genres in there. And that's what Rodrigo Godinho did with this. It really incorporated a lot of different genres and a lot of different influences. I, I talked about this being a very Lovecraftian tale. And yeah, it does have some aspects of Lovecraft in it. But it also has, you know, kind of a invasion of the body snatchers feel to it. It is very much a sci-fi type movie in regards to mechanics and machinery and physics. I know the original story, and of course this movie is based on a novella by Nick Cutter. Uh, you'll see in the credits, uh, there's there's references to Nick Cutter. There's also re references to Craig Davidson. Uh, Craig Davidson is the man, and Nick Cutter is one of his pen names. And of course, Nick Cutter is the pen name that he wrote the breach under it's usually what he writes a lot of his horror stuff under and i know in that novella uh which i i don't know is if it actually is in like a written format because originally it was an amazon original audio book uh, an audio novella and that's that's how you you listen to it 
I'm, I'm sure since then has been put down on the written page, but it's it's a story that I've heard about. I've never read it or, or listened to it until this movie, but it makes me want to go check it out because from what I understand of the story, the story delves a lot into the Philadelphia Project, which they, which they don't really get into in this movie. And I almost kind of wish they had because the Philadelphia Project is such a weird piece of American history and American mythology. It's during World War II or somewhere around that time, and the United States is trying to find a way to cloak warships so radar can't pick them up. And they're doing a lot of experimentation on these on these boats. And I think they had like Nikola Tesla's work involved in it. And they end up running this test on this this battleship and it disappears and i've heard different stories telling that it disappeared and a few minutes later it reappeared right where it's right where it was and then i've heard stories about it disappearing and ending up a hundred miles away after a few minutes i you know that's all anecdotal accounts of this but there are a lot of really weird accounts uh, from people that were on that ship part of that experiment you know Everything from just feeling nauseous afterwards to people, uh, you know, sailors on this ship being kind of morphed or kind of spliced into the, the metal walls and shit like that. I mean, it's some crazy stuff. If you get a chance to look up stuff about the Philadelphia Experiment, and I know in the novella, The Breach, that Nick Cutter goes into a lot of parallels with the Philadelphia Experiment and what the main antagonist of the movie, Cole Parsons, uh, is doing. I think in the in the book, it's more along the lines of the Philadelphia Experiment. In this, it's something a little different, a little more sinister and nefarious. But like I said, uh, he was a part, Nick Cutter was a part of the script writing process. And also Ian Weir, who's done quite a bit. I mean, he was... Uh, a part of the Flashpoint TV series, a a writer there. He was a writer on Transformers Beast Wars in the 90s. So Guy's done a ton of writing, and I know that Rodrigo Godinho did a lot of, maybe not rewriting, but he took this story in some different directions that maybe weren't necessarily uh, the way the story played out that that Nick Cutter actually wrote. I think there's some character changes. I think there's some changes to the machine that that Parsons is is experimenting with that uh, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I've, I've never read the original, so I'm not sure if if I would like that better than what I saw on the screen, but I did ultimately enjoy where Rodrigo Godinho took this story, The Breach. And, and we'll get into that. We're going to get into the characters. But uh, another uh, little side note as to how this came about as well. One of the executive producers is Slash from Guns N' Roses. And of course, Slash has been, he's been trying to get into the horror game for a while. I mean, back in what was it, 2014, somewhere around there, he had a, his film company uh, produce that movie, Nothing Left to Fear, which... I liked, I really enjoyed that. Clancy Brown is always fantastic. Uh, I I enjoyed Nothing Left to Fear. I thought it was a pretty good movie and a pretty good scary movie. But a lot of people did not agree with me on that. But I also love the song Nothing Left to Fear that he and Miles Kennedy did for the end credits. And, And I saw them perform it on 
on one of the late night talk shows. So uh, Slash has been into horror films for a long time. He's been trying to get into the horror film making game. And after, I, I think the nothing left to fear experience left him a little scarred because they just, they had, you know, problem after problem getting that movie made. And then for it to not do as well as they thought it would or wanted it to, I think that's kind of left him a little shell-shocked. But it's kind of cool to see him getting back into the horror game as an executive producer. And he actually, of course, he's uh, good friends with Rodrigo Godinho, and they had him do a couple original scoring songs for this. And and you can tell, they're the very acoustic-y sounding score that uh, I, I really enjoyed. Although the first one that you get, the music is really loud. And it's not a loud song. I mean, it gets a little rocking with some electric guitar, but it starts out very soft and acoustic. And I just think uh, they made a mistake in in the editing uh, or, or putting that together with the scoring. That It was just too loud. I wish they would have. Any of the other times they play like Slash original stuff in the score, it's good. It's soft. It's acoustic. It's at the right volume. But that first time was, and that's no, it's no reflection on Slash. He didn't have any control over that. But ultimately, the music he put into this movie, I really liked and really dug that that he was a part of this after uh, enjoying Nothing Left to Fear uh, as much as I did. So I'm going to briefly go over some of the characters that we have in this, uh, some of the actors who play these characters, and uh, because it's it's a relatively small cast. Uh, I mean, you got some extras, not extras, but you got some uh, tertiary characters that uh, are background, but for the most part, are only got like a handful of main cast members. And the star of this show is Alan Hocko, who we saw in the movie Quicksand, which I, I I loved his performance. I loved the acting in that. Just the movie itself, I think, lacked in some areas in the writing and the the things that made sense. But Alan Hocko, I thought, did a really good job in that. And he did a really good job in this, playing John Hawkins. He's a, a small-town sheriff going off to, to the big city. He has a an on-again, off-again relationship with a character, Meg, who we'll talk about here in, in just a little bit. But, you know, he's on the last days of his job and just kind of just wants to leave... This town, Lone Crow, in a quiet way, but he gets drawn into this. And he does a really good job, Alan Hocko, of playing an everyman type of character. And I said in when we talked about him in Quicksand, he kind of has a Dylan McDermott look about him. And kind of, you know, every time I see him, I always think of Dylan McDermott. And, and Dylan McDermott kind of does that everyman character quite well and and that's i think one of the things i like about alan hocko is that he can play the strong lead but he's not chewing up the scenery you know his his performances are, are very grounded and very subtle and not over the top and and it really plays into that everyman vibe and he just nails it in this i, I really he was probably one of my favorite performers in this movie now the uh meg fulbright character played by emily alitalo this character if i'm not mistaken in the novella is actually native american well it's canada so it would have been first people but uh she in this is white bread and i, I don't know why they changed that i would really like to have seen a story accurate character but that's not to say that I didn't enjoy Emily Alitalo's performance. At first, it seemed like it was going to be a bit, a bit much. 
The performance was awkward and almost like she hadn't found the character yet. It, like that first scene with her, it almost feels Hallmark movie-ish. And I just, it's like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to like this performance or or I don't know if it's the performance or how it was written. But but then the performance, I, I think she kind of, maybe that was early on in filming. She just really hadn't found this character yet. But later on, once they, you know, get going to this house that they're going to to, to solve this mystery she really finds the character and finds who she wants this character to be and does a really good job. I, I really enjoyed her performance and the the relationship between these two. Uh, she was in a relationship with the Jacob character, which we'll talk about here uh, in a minute. They broke up. Later comes John Hawkins, the, the Alan Hawko character. They get into a relationship and then all of a sudden they break up. And it's been about a month since they had been together last. So it makes for kind of a very tense uh, situation when he has to go to her uh, because she's one of the area guides. And she took this scientist up to this remote house up this river and he needs her to take him there as well. So it, it really set it up for a very interesting dynamic between these two characters. And I thought the, the two actors had some pretty good chemistry. Now, Emily Alitalo, you may have seen her. She's been, it seems like looking through her filmography, it looks like she's been in a lot of like Hallmark movies, a lot of Hallmark Christmas movies. I don't know, but she has been in some other, some horror, some genre stuff. I'll Hallow's Eve 2. Uh, she was in the, the last Halloween segment of that. So she's done some horror before, and but she's got a, a long list of work. So check her out. Now, I talked about the Jacob character, Jacob Redgrave, played by Wesley French. Now, he is also the ex of Emily, but he's kind of a douche. And he... I don't know whether he's the medical examiner or what his exact job is. I, I, I assumed it was a medical examiner or coroner of some sort. And for whatever reason, the sheriff brings him along when they go to this house that they're looking for. I don't know why, other than to just put that kind of love triangle tension between John, Emily, and Jacob. It works to a degree, but they don't really focus on it. So it was essentially just bringing him there just to have another body for when shit goes down, I think. But you may remember Wesley French. He's been in uh, numerous things. Uh, most recently, he was in uh, an episode of Guillermo del Toro's uh, Cabinet of Curiosities. He was in that series, Am with an E. He was in Outlander, the TV series Viking. So a big, long list of, uh, of movies and, and TV series that he's been a part of. Uh, then we get to the house and we're introduced to the Parsons. First, we're introduced to uh, Linda Parsons, played by Natalie Brown. And she is an actress that you've probably seen her in a lot of shit. She was in the Guillermo del Toro uh, TV series The Strain. She was in the Dawn of the Dead remake back in 04. She was recently in Nightmare Alley, another Guillermo del Toro joint. Again, a shit ton of TV series and movies that she's been in. She's probably been in some of the bigger uh, series and, and movies out of all the actors in this. And, and she does a really good job because she is playing the wife her daughter has gone missing because of the, the work of her husband and her husband's gone missing and she's coming there much like John Hawkins and Meg Fulbright and Jacob Redgrave and she is looking for answers as well. Now, instead of getting answers, we get more questions when this character shows up. Cole Parsons, the, the doctor 
who Meg has has brought up here to do these experiments, uh, played by Adam Kenneth Wilson. He's been in the TV series Reacher. He was in VHS 94. He's done some voice work in the Assassin's Creed video games. So uh, again, another accomplished actor who does a, a good job with this character. This character is kind of, when we meet him, He's not who we think he is. He comes across as a little mustache twirly villain, but that's because at this point he kind of is. And I, I've kept from talking about the main plot of this movie uh, and talking about the characters before we really get into what's going on uh, for a reason. Because once I start with this, I got to keep a, a stream of consciousness a diatribe going because it is it's it's some crazy shit because you have this this Dr. Parsons, this Cole Parsons character. Meg takes him to this house to do these experiments. Uh he he builds this machine and then all of a sudden they find a the remnants of a human wash up to shore on a on a canoe and all the tests say that it is Cole Parsons, but then when they're there, uh probably over halfway through the movie as we're kind of getting into the third act, he shows up and, okay, what's going on here? His wife, uh, Linda, watches these videos where he's taking all these people into this this machine. And f- for what reasons, I, you know, it, it's hard to tell. And then there's a video of him performing this bizarre ritual as he's in this black cloak over top of his his daughter and that may be the reason why she disappeared and the remains that they find are really disgusting uh really good job on the practical effects they use for that it's essentially like somebody shed their skin like a snake and they end up finding more of these shed skins later uh that just kind of adds to the mystery of what the hell's going on the jacob redgrave character gets stung by these yellow jackets or these wasps and and they did some really shitty jump scares with this i will say uh there weren't a lot of jump scares but the the ones they did were kind of shitty uh where it's like they're staring at something trying to figure out what it is and then all of a sudden there's a loud smacking sound effect and him swatting at the back of his neck uh bitching about being bit by something uh it was kind of hokey and like i said bad jump scares But I think where they made up for that was in the atmosphere of the whole movie. But being stung by this wasp, uh, Jacob all of a sudden starts coming under some sort of sickness where he's not well. And it all culminates with him coming out of his skin. Although the him that comes out of his skin is nothing but muscle and bone. And it's very disgusting. And a head with extra eye holes and extra nose holes and extra mouth holes. And uh, the creature design on this was good and bad. Like the facial features was fantastic. The creature design was really good. It's almost like multiple faces on a head. The rest of the bodysuit looked like a bodysuit. It was, you know, had shredded bits of meat and flesh, but that couldn't cover up the fact that it was essentially a bodysuit. If you look close enough, uh, it, it bothers you. If you you try to pay attention to the faces, it didn't bother me as much, although it did have a very stack Land of the Lost vibe to it at, at some points. If you, Like I said, if you, if you paid too much attention to it. Another really cool creature design they did was when the Linda character... Uh, 
There's this one aspect of the story where their daughter, we keep hearing her voice and we keep seeing uh, like there's a, a shadow on the wall of, of their daughter reaching out towards Meg at one point. And so it's like she's there, but she's not there. It's really that's one of the confusing things. It's a little hard to understand and get where they're going with it. But uh, but she's hearing her daughter's voice and her daughter finally manifests and, and leads her into this machine that everybody else that has gone through has turned into one of these fleshy-headed mutants that pop out of their skin. When she comes out, the Linda character comes out, she's not like one of those creatures. She's a little more fully formed, but she has another face on the side of her head and the all oh, the effects on that the practical makeup effects on that were just uh stunning i i really enjoyed those it was disgusting and creepy and just horrific the special effects makeup on nicole parsons character when when he and john hawkins are having that fight where john hawkins is trying to to blow up this machine with a a bit of gasoline spread everywhere and a lighter and a rag i don't know how that was supposed to blow up the whole house the way it did but hey you know it's suspension of disbelief but they have a fight scene and sheriff hawkins hits him in the face and we start to see part of his face tear away essentially confirming what we already knew that the real Cole Parsons was infected by whatever this is, and another Cole Parsons came out of him. And this was, like I said, a bad version of Cole Parsons. I I'm going to get into what I think it is all about in the end. Until then, it's really kind of hard to explain what all this means. But the makeup effect on Adam Kenneth Wilson was really stunning. That were kind of like the part of the jaws showing, and you see the teeth all the way back. It was disgusting and, and looked really cool. And I had a feeling this movie was going to end, not the not the second ending, the first ending. Uh, I had a feeling it was going to end that way because you have John Hawkins, the Alan Hocko character, and the Meg Fulbright character played by Emily Alitalo. They're running back to the house and Meg divulges that she is pregnant with John's child. And John's like, you know, very happy and he's going to stay. And you think all is going to be right with the world. And at that point, I was like, oh, he's going to die he's gonna die that's that's just how this has got to go he's gonna die i want them to have a happy ending but this doesn't seem like that kind of movie and boy howdy was it not that kind of movie but we'll we'll get into that but you know he ends up not getting out in time and and blows up and meg who had been shooting all of these zombie these these creatures that have come out of other people's skins and they're all disgusting and they look like and move like zombies it's really kind of hard to tell what they exactly are. And I think that leads to the confusion of what this movie really is all about. And like I said, I'll get to my thoughts on that coming up. But uh, but she gets blown out of the house and is laying there. And you see one walking up to her in the background out of focus. And it was really cool and really suspenseful. And then all of a sudden, one pops down in her face. It doesn't do anything to her. It just cuts to black. Which I thought was... One of the, if not the most effective jump scare of the movie. You know, they had a lot of really bad jump scares at first with the swatting of the insects. They did that not once, but twice. But this was actually a jump scare that I that I kind of liked because it involved the horror that we were witnessing on the screen. And it just wasn't a cheap jump scare that had nothing to do with any of the horror 
or, or the suspense that uh, that they were building. But yeah, you get this really cool jump scare and then it cuts to black, which I'm like, oh shit, they're going to end it like that. And my, my wife actually stepped in while that was going on. She was like, oh, it's over. And that's kind of how I felt. But then, of course, they flash forward to another character, which I, I haven't talked about her, Connie. We'll, we'll talk about her in a minute and the special cameo of this movie. But uh, Connie shows up with some of John Hawkins' things from the from the police precinct and is leaving them for her. She's now very much pregnant. So you got to imagine this is at least a couple months, a month or two since the, the events of the movie. Uh, she looks really pregnant. So it probably should be further along than that but uh hey you know suspension disbelief you got to show the passage of time somehow but uh she she takes the box of stuff and and connie leaves and connie mentions about her dogs are no longer there because because meg kept all these stray dogs as kind of a, a rescue and she loved them you saw in that first scene with her she you know she's holding the dog and she's kissing it and and loving on it she loves these dogs and she said that she had to get rid of them because she she needed the quiet and she takes the box after Connie leaves she takes that box of stuff down to the backyard where there is a pit that there's been a fire and things have been burned and you start to see those little rib cages and those little bones and she dumps the contents of this box on this this fire pit with all these dog bones. She burned those dogs, killed those dogs, and then the camera pans over by a tree and you see the skin husk, the skin shell of Meg, and we realize that Meg is much like Cole Parsons. She's no longer the Meg we knew. She is something wholly different. And that ending was, by God, some chilling stuff. I mean, if the whole movie could have been like that, that would have been fantastic. But that little twist and that little dig at the end, just the the savagery of something, some entity killing all those poor little dogs and knowing that this is not the version of Meg that we knew and that she is now something evil. It's just, I, it, like I said, it was chilling. That's the only thing I can think of. I... I finished that movie. I'm like, I, my, my jaw was agape and I was like, oh my God, wow, did they go for it at the end. But now for what is this movie even about? Uh, that, that was really tough. For me at first, after I watched it, I was like, ah, I, I don't know. I wish there was a lot more dots connected. I wish they had a little more connected tissue. Uh, it felt like a movie that they had to cut scenes out and those scenes could have made things make a little more sense. But in some regards, the more I sat with it, the more I thought about this movie, I'm almost kind of glad that it didn't spell things out for me. I didn't I didn't want it to be spelled out. I did wish that there were a little more, at least veiled references to what's going on. Unless I miss some things, there really isn't any idea as to what's going on. Other than the conspiracy theories you get with the Connie character played by Mary Antonini, who does a, a wonderful job with this, this small role, but she is going back and forth through like uh, Skype or whatever of some video chat with Alex Lifeson from Rush, which I'm a huge Rush fan. And he's not necessarily playing himself, but he is playing a guy named Alex. So I almost like to imagine that the Connie Parks character is actual friends with 
fellow Canadian, Alex Lifeson from Rush. And Alex has got some some views on some, some, some conspiracy shit uh, about what's going on up in Canada. And, you know, and they, they like to share those views from time to time. Now, like I said, I don't think it's supposed to be Alex from Rush, but or, or maybe maybe a fictionalized version of him. I don't know, but it was really fun to see Alex Lifeson show up in this. But his character does have some views on a lot of conspiracy theories and about this this Doctor Parsons and his work with physics and you know all these conspiracy theories about various things from the Mandela effect to a hum that's heard all throughout uh, Canada. But he talks about them and these scientists opening the gates to hell. And while I don't think that is literally what Nick Cutter wrote in the book or the novella, and I don't think that's literally what Rodrigo Godinho was was filming. I think it's something along those lines. You had Linda talk about how, you know, his machine was one thing. It was an experiment, but then it started to get into darker things when somebody else got involved, somebody else he was in contact with. And she never specifically says how he was being contacted, whether whether it be some sort of demonic thing. I mean, it could have been that. Whether it is some sort of alien entity, it could have been that as well. I, I do like how they kind of left that open to interpretation. And that's essentially what this is. This is an alien invasion movie or, or some sort of entity invasion movie where he is bringing people into this machine that opens a portal to somewhere to hell to another planet, another universe, another dimension, who knows, but people get in there and and even the the bees and and the animals and stuff are, are being affected to where they can inf- people get infected by contact through this portal or contact with these uh, bees. I'm not I'm still not sure how that works, but but at any rate, they're infected with something that grows inside of them and bursts through their skin and I don't know whether, that that's another thing I'm not really sure of, whether the, as I called them, the fleshy-headed mutants, uh, the people that burst through the skin that are just all muscle and bone and look gory and whatnot, if, if that's just how they are because it didn't work right, or if they end up growing the person's skin back, eventually becoming a fully formed version of that person, or if there are some elements of the movie that almost make me think that, yeah, there are some mistakes that come through, uh, whether it be the the people that burst out of the body and, and all of a sudden they're just you know a bunch of flesh and bone, whether it is like the Linda Parsons where she comes out and she's got like a another half a face on the side of her head, almost got it right, but maybe not quite all the way there. Or if it's like Isabella Parsons or Cole Parsons, who seem like fully formed versions of their old self. And maybe whatever contact they made, it happened correct with them. And and that's one of the interesting things is there's a line where Cole Parsons speaks to Meg and tells her that she is the breach. And I, I was curious as that you know, they didn't really tell you what that meant, what it even referred to. And if you look up the word breach, 
he spoke about it as if it were a noun. So I'm assuming it's going by this definition, a gap in a wall, barrier, or defense, especially one made by an attacking army. Maybe she is the type of person, whatever was dwelling within this new version of Cole Parsons, recognized her as the type of person that would be perfect for the inhabitation and eventually the, the fully formed alien, demon, other entity version of that person to come out. I don't know. I don't know. This this is definitely one of those movies that leaves you with just as many, if not more questions than you started out watching it with. And when I initially finished watching it, I didn't like that. But now the more time I've had to sit with it and the more time I've had to cogitate on it and think about what this, that, or the other thing meant... Uh, I, I think I, I like it a lot more than I initially did. And and I enjoy the fact that it really made me think about what the hell just went on. Now, that's not to say that there aren't some moments where it just, I, I'm just not sure where the connection is. It doesn't make sense. And that could partly be because this does deviate from the initial, the original story by Nick Cutter. You've got another writer involved. Of course, Nick Cutter was involved with the writing of this, or Craig Davidson, his his real name, was involved with the script writing with Ian Weir. But also you had Rodrigo Gadinha, a part of this as well, tweaking this to, to make it his movie, which is understandable. So maybe that could be where some of the, the disconnect is between some of the elements and the bigger picture of this. But ultimately, like I said, uh, where I at first wanted more connective tissue, now I still want a little bit more connective tissue with this, but I'm I'm, I'm okay with not getting it because... There's enough to read into in this, and there's enough stuff left open-ended to make you wonder about all of this and wonder what the hell is going on with this, that it made it an enjoyable movie, regardless of the fact that I, I initially was like, ah, I don't know. I don't know if I liked it, uh, but after I had some time to sit on it, I do like it, and I did enjoy The Breach. It was definitely worth the $5 to rent it on Amazon Prime, and I encourage you to to check it out. Like I said, uh, a pretty good cast. Not perfect. There are some awkward moments. The Jacob character is a little awkward, but that could just be the character and how it's written. The Emily character started out a little awkward, but I think Emily Alatalo uh, really found the character as the movie went on. Of course, Alan Hocko was fantastic in this. The Connie character, uh, the actress who played her, was really good. It was really cool seeing Alex Lifeson. Really cool to have Slash in there. Really cool to have, you know, people from, you know, Rodrigo Godinho from Rue Morgue being a part of this. Nick Cutter, who's a great horror author, uh, being a part of this. It just had so many, so many things to like about it before you even put on the movie and then to have a movie that really uh, really works uh, for the most part and I, I love the practical effects I thought those are really good there was some CG stuff in there uh, some CG blood which I'm always kind of uh, on the on the fence about that but I could look past it because they did so many other things practical that uh, that I didn't mind some of the CG blood trying to enhance 
some of the other other things. I wish there could have been more scares. There were some creepy moments, but there weren't a lot of scares. There were a couple of little shit, shitty jump scares. But what it missed out on in scares, it really made up for in atmosphere because it had a lot of creepy atmosphere, a lot of tension. There was a bit where I'm like, okay, let's let's get on with this and get going. It did feel a little long at some points. But once you hit that third act, that's where business really picked up and made it ultimately uh, an enjoyable horror sci-fi extravaganza. Like I said, it had a lot of elements of H.P. Lovecraft, had a lot of elements of The Thing, a lot of elements of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. There's definitely a little bit of an alien vibe, had a lot of great practical effects, and it had a great chilling, bone-chilling ending to it. That, that left me just kind of my, my jaw dropped. So there you have it. Those are my thoughts on the movie The Breach. You can check it out. Like I said, it's video on demand uh, wherever you uh, you do that. I happen to watch it on Amazon Prime. So check it out there, rent it. And, uh, and I, I think you'll enjoy it. If you like horror, uh, especially kind of things that lean into it. It wasn't specifically cosmic horror, but it, it had some... Some elements of that and had a lot of a lot of great elements from a lot of great horror films uh, throughout history. And I, I was I was glad to see whether they intentionally or subliminally add a lot of those references and influences and homages. I enjoyed it all. So uh, check it out, The Breach, wherever you do your video on demand. So I want to thank everyone for checking out my thoughts on The Breach. Uh, Check out everything else that's going on with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our Facebook page. I uh, always post an articles on horror, fantasy, and science fiction. Uh, I like to add my two cents as well on the articles I find all over the internet. Uh, always post in trailers. Uh, you can also check us out on Instagram with all that stuff. And wherever you listen to this podcast, subscribe to it, follow it, like it, whatever you got to do. Whatever it's called on the particular platform you listen to this podcast on, do that. And as well as share this podcast with anyone you know that loves horror, fantasy, and science fiction. And as always, leave those reviews. Those really are important for the the algorithms and all that uh, science know-how and techno mumble-jumbo. But at any rate, leave those reviews. Five stars would be awesome. But whatever review you leave, we appreciate that more than you'll ever know. And until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!